This sit-down is a celebration of John McTiernan's 1988 masterpiece, Die Hard. Based on the novel by Roderick Thorpe, Jeb Stewart, and Stephen E. D'Souza, D'Souza are the uh, two screenwriters. They did not work on it together, but they both worked on it on their own. Um, one thing we can jump into in this movie right from the start to get it out of the way is the genre discussion. This is a fun one for some. We just made it through the holiday season. Uh, to me, Die Hard is a love story at the core. More on that to come. It is a Christmas movie, definitely. I know there's a clip out there of Bruce Willis saying it's not a Christmas movie, but to me, it is a Christmas movie. And it's definitely an action, and I would even say part comedy. Um, genre isn't a thing. It's a label. So this is probably why the conversation gets so crazy. The most common debate is in regards to it being a Christmas movie or not. Um, what do you need to define or to label something a Christmas movie? Do you need Christmas music? Do you need somebody telling somebody not to snoop for presents? Do you need it to be set on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Do you need a Christmas party? Do you need a Christmas tree? Um, all of these things are in Die Hard. So continue that debate as you wish. But I'm saying love story, Christmas movie, action film, comedy even. So there's the genre discussion. Not that important, but fun, perhaps. Um, some of the techniques in this movie, some of the many techniques, obviously there's all sorts of stuff to get into here. This is definitely a rewatchable film. But the use of Dutch angle, a contained time and space, in terms of, for the most part, this whole thing, for the most part, taking place in the Nakatomi Tower on one night. The motif of feet, shoes, and glass. As far as wardrobe, the tank top that John McClane wears. And a regular hero. This is one of the most exciting things about the film. This is what changed action movies in part moving forward regarding the leading hero, the leading character. Many actors turned this movie down. Many action heroes of the day turned this movie down. They didn't get it. The main character is not just giant biceps and running directly at the bad guy and killing, crushing everybody. This is a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more realist. John McClane is a little bit more everyman. The kind of guy that might have to jump on the back of the bad guy, talk trash as he's punching him over and over and over again. The idea of an outsider, moving on, and conflict. So in this movie, uh, John McClane's character is not from Los Angeles. He's from New York, and he's trying to convince people of something. This is similar to Jaws, how our main character was not from the island, and he was trying to convince the people there of something. It adds conflict. It makes it more difficult for the main character. Something good in this movie. Another good thing, um, the B story in particular is a fun one. This is a buddy film also, if we're talking about genre or subgenre. Sergeant Al 
as a friend is a fun part of the story. The motif of cowboy sunsets, yippee happy trails, all that stuff is something that comes up a good bit. The dialogue, um, it's not repeated dialogue really, it's just a really important point. The idea of saying I am sorry to the person or people you love when you need to. And then the last thing I was thinking about or pointing out before we get into some of the story structure is the importance of the Rolex watch as a motif. So that's something that is huge to look for. What do we mean by this? Ellis gives Holly, our main character's wife, a Rolex watch as a token of appreciation for her success in the business. At the end of the movie, and this is something to me that is important when we're talking about is this a love story at the core. At the end of the movie, when Hans is grabbing onto our wrist, this is something that we'll get to, there's a very important shot of the Rolex. The Rolex plays a very important part of this scene. So I don't mean to start talking about it and then cut it off, but we'll get to that. So these are some of the interesting things, techniques, some character points, some story points, motifs that stand out to me. And like I said, there's probably a lot of other stuff in here also. Moving into the story, it's um, around 132 minutes, which might put our midpoint around 66 minutes, breaking uh, Act 1 into around 33 minutes. Possibly we'll have to keep our eyes open. We open up with the airplane being on the airplane. This is one motif I didn't touch on a moment ago when I was going through some of them. The audio motif of the ding, which we'll hear throughout the movie, is huge. We're in a building with a bunch of bad guys. So stairs and elevators are important. When an elevator dings, it can mean someone's coming to help you or hurt you. Very important. On the airplane... We set this sound up when the seatbelt light ding goes off. And we're going to hear it and feel it throughout the entire movie. It's going to ramp up in terms of importance. So we're on the airplane. We set up the fact that uh, we, our main character, is a police officer. We meet uh, Holly, see her in her work. John takes the limo. We relate to him as an everyman as he sits in the front seat with the limo driver, Argyle, a great character. We get to the plaza, John and Holly interact. This is a huge moment to set up their love and their issues for and with each other. It's really important to me that after um, they get in a disagreement or fight that John um, bumps his head against the wall and says, great job, real mature. It shows that he does care. He's not just um, showing people that he cares. Hans arrives. John is trying to relax himself by taking off his shoes. The suggestion made to him on the airplane. We have to run away, which again points towards the main character. This is something that happens for a while. John has to hide, has to run away, or chooses to. And in past action movies... Um, that might not be the best move, the first move. 
your action heroes a lot of time are going to dive right into the bad guy. But in this, a little bit more realist, we take cover, we um, observe and try to take notes, take information. We see Hans asking for the code to the vault. And we set up the importance of the vault. So we also get a murder in here. And this locks us into what all possibly is at stake. So to me, this is the end of Act 1. We've set up the location. We've set up our main characters, our bad guys, the importance of the vault and the code and accessing the vault. We've seen a death and we're off to the races. So around this point, around 33 minutes in, we move on. What's the easiest, most immediate way to solve the problem? Pull a fire alarm. We fight and kill Tony. We get a hold of a machine gun. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. One of the best moments in the film. John then calls 911. We're on the roof. We meet Al. We run more from the bad guys. Al comes to check out the building. Welcome to the party, pal. Great line in the film. John and the bad guy Hans get on the walkie-talkies, the radio with each other. The news catches wind of what's going on. They enter the scene. John and Al start talking. The chief of police and the news show up, get in the mix. To me, the midpoint of the film is kind of, a, um, again, maybe similar to Jaws, where the larger, greater, bigger community becomes aware of what's going on. So the midpoint of Jaws, it's undeniable to the community as a whole that we have a problem, that we have a monster here. And that changes the next half of the film. Here, it, it's undeniable to the community. Um, the police community, the news community, the local community, what's going on here, and they start getting involved. It doesn't change the film as much here as it does in Jaws, but um, to me, this is this group of things kind of leads us in to our midpoint, or is our midpoint, around 66 minutes in. The LAPD is there, they bring in the truck, Ellis gets involved, he ends up dying, Hans states his demands, the FBI gets involved, Hans and John continue to talk. We have the interaction between the two of them. And this is the Dutch angle moment. I shouldn't say continue to talk here. Really, this is when they, Hans goes up to check the roof, check the detonators, and John runs into him. John has not seen Hans's face in this film. The opening murder, we see the gun, we see the hand, but we don't see Hans, not his face at least. So in this moment, John potentially doesn't know who he's talking to. Hans pretends to be a California guy, Bill Clay. This is a great moment uh, I touched on earlier where you see the use of Dutch angle 
There are a lot of lines in this set, in this space, and it highlights the Dutch angle. This is a big deal. Something is off, something is untrue, something is being lied about, and the camera goes Dutch angle. The horizon line is tilted. I watched this movie recently with some people that had never seen it before, and this scene uh, blew their mind. It was really interesting to watch it with people fresh and to notice their reaction. And this scene really grabbed them with Hans and John. From here, we move on into Shoot the Glass, where John this whole time has been barefoot, is still barefoot. This is a big part of this film. And Hans and the bad guys shoot the glass around him and he has to run out over it. And he's very badly injured. So at this point, we, John, loses the detonators, which he's had in his possession throughout Act 2, which means Hans gets a hold of the detonators. We've heard about these detonators. Hans has wanted them back for a while. It's a point of power. So Hans becomes more powerful here. John becomes weaker. He's very badly injured. So to me, this around here is where we move into Act 3. And Al talking about his past, in a sense, our B story, our buddy story. Al and his sad story about being not being able to draw his gun anymore. This puts us into Act 3. And John is very badly injured, and Hans is empowered, and Al has a sad backstory. The FBI moves in to cut the power, which ends up helping the bad guys. The vault opens up, and they have access to the money. And John is talking to Al on the walkie-talkie and on the radio and says, Holly's heard him say, that he loves her many times, but she's never heard him say that he's sorry. And he says to pass on the word that he's sorry. And that's a very powerful point in terms of the main character changing in the way that he needs to, especially because this is a love story. The news shows up at their home. This triggers us, um, not quite immediately, it's cut back and forth. We have the roof fight, the um, helicopters get involved. Eventually the news reveals the fact that Holly is John's wife. This is a big deal. She's gone by Ms. Gennaro throughout the film. When this happens, when Hans realizes that Holly is married to John, um, Observe the camera movements. It's it's some craziness. It's great. I think it's perfect. It's really fun. And man, the camera moves in a lot of really dramatic ways. It shows us that the characters are realizing something huge, something dramatic. So Hans takes Holly up to unload the vault while there's the craziness with the helicopters and the hostages being on the roof. And John goes up there to try to get him out of there and goes finds out Holly's at the vault. 
The chopper's shooting at him. They think he's a bad guy. People are running off the roof. The roof ends up blowing. We have this final showdown moment between John and Hans. Great lighting, great scene, great moment. We have reference to the cowboy dialogue motif or cowboy motif again in here. We shoot Hans. He is falling out the window. He grabs a hold of Holly. This is what we mentioned to open this whole thing up. He grabs onto her wrist, onto her Rolex watch. John has to rush over and lean out the window. And the moment here that shows us that this is an action film, that this is also a love story, or at least that solidifies it, the motif here in the Rolex watch, the moment is this tight shot on the wrist, on the watch, on John trying to unlatch the watch. And when he unlatches this watch and gets this Rolex from Ellis and the team off of his wife, when he gets the Rolex from Ellis released, that is what actually releases Hans also and kills Hans and drops Hans to his death. So he could have been holding onto her forearm. He could have been holding on to her sleeve, but he's holding onto the Rolex. It's a great visual storytelling moment. And then after this, we're down in the parking lot. We wrap up Al's B story in one last action moment, which is another fun debate of this film. How could this bad guy who we last saw hanging from a chain still be alive? But he is. It's an action movie. Al steps up and saves John in that moment and or Holly. We're wrapping all this stuff up with the police chief, with the news crew, with Argyle coming out, with our romance, with our relationship. Our couple together gets in the back of the limo and they drive off to Christmas music. So that to me is Die Hard. There's so much more in there, I'm sure. If you want to get the yes or no on all these thoughts, talk to the filmmakers. It's a great film and I would definitely suggest re-watching it or checking it out for the first time on a large screen, on a large screen with good audio. There you go.